I've got my technician tonight. Everything's right with the world. So let's take the next few moments in silent prayer and readying ourselves to the study of the Word of God. Let us pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this evening and meeting together. I pray, Heavenly Father, that the Word tonight, as we go through the review, I pray, Heavenly Father, that even with the review, that um, our receptors will be open, that the Holy Spirit will open our hearts to these things. We pray, uh, Heavenly Father, with what we study tonight and review, may it be a source of blessing and challenge as we continue to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, the floor is open. Um, maybe we can uh, relax up our our. Um, and then relax a little bit tonight. If you have any questions, feel free to bring them forward. Uh, welcome, Mom. I know you're turning in. Glad to have you with. With uh, I guess this is the best we could do. I'd rather have you right there in the chair with us, but nonetheless, glad you're here uh, and stuff. So, anyway. Uh, We've been working on Chapter 6, and we, we're, uh, I believe we, we have closed that. We're getting ready to go into Chapter 7, where, um, uh, not tonight, but we're, we're just going to uh, really go back into to 6. We're going to cover our Q&A tonight. Remember, just as a reminder, unless I forget, be working on, uh, be reading through, at least be reading through Matthew 1, uh, 1 through 5. Uh, because that's going to be, those questions are going to be on uh, going on our uh, straight upstate Bible challenge, and that will be on Tuesday night. Shift it, or um, it'll be on Tuesday night rather than Thursday night. What's that? That was I was looking for the, the date. That is last this Sunday. Is, this uh, is tomorrow's study. Tomorrow's study? <laughs> really? Dates it's, it's January seventeenth. January 17th? Yeah. Well, it's prophetical. Back to the future. It's prophetical. You know, that's, that's the prophecy. It's, what, it was, what I'm going to teach tomorrow, I actually taught Sunday on the Lord's Day. <laughs> All right. So let's let's go back. And we open back up to, to 6. Let's go over um, what we've been through on this before uh, getting us ready to move into Chapter 7 on the Lord's Day coming up. Be on Lord's Day. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to the maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Who's the letter? As I ask you, let me send out a question to you tonight on the first question. Who's the letter written to? Tell me a little bit about the people. Who's receiving this letter? This is the, 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 would this be the, the Jews believers? The Jewish believers, yes. Um, why don't we call it Messianic Jew? That's what I was thinking. But. We, that's what we call them today, Messianic, uh, the Messianic Christians. These are um, believing Jews. Uh, and believing, believing Jews. Um, something about them, they're, they're, uh, many of these are crossover Jews. They, they've, they've crossed over. They were Old Testament saints. They believed in the, uh, the coming of a Redeemer. They looked forward to that. 
and um, they were believers. Even even some of these may be the very ones that stood at the cross mocking Jesus. Um, maybe the very same ones who were yelling, um, crucify him, crucify him. But you remember Jesus saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Just this morning we were, we were talking about, um, remember that when Jesus rode into the temple, on that fall, you know, they, they were laying down uh, palm branches, their coats. They were hailing him. They were saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And all. how quickly did they change their, change their loyalties to Jesus? Why? Because their lo- they were still connected with the Pharisees. They had a trust in these Pharisees. They had a trust. And um, these were their spiritual leaders. And so... While they were hailing Jesus, they weren't paying attention at the moment to the attitude of their leaders. And when they recognized that their leaders did not accept Jesus, many of these didn't. Many of them turned on Jesus right on a dime, and they followed their leadership to crucify him, crucify him. And it didn't mean that they were unbelievers. These were still Old Testament saints. They were deceived. And Jesus prayed that uh, on the, while he was on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Okay? And so many of these crossover believers were those at the time of Pentecost, the believers. It started out with 120 Antioch, and then through that first, um, the, apo- the apostolic age, that first the apostolic age is the the apostles, and it was they were laying on hands to believers who were already believers, laying on hands, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. So they went in that in that particular age, they went from being an Old Testament believer to a church age believer, okay, with all the ranks and privileges. Uh, I believe in that period there were some who died as Old Testament believers, as Old Testament saints. But in the, um, but the, and then there were those who were dying as church age believers with um, the bride of Christ. You know, the, the church age believers are the bride of Christ, not the Old Testament believers, but the New Testament believers. So um, look, probably, probably could use a little bit of work on that, but there, but now we live in a time where when we when one when we believe and we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is then that we receive the Holy Spirit. We become church age believers. Okay, that was just in that crossover period that we had there. So these are many of these, and they they heard the gospel. They were converted over to being church age believers, and um, again with all the ranks and privileges and. And they had, they were getting their spiritual footing. They, um, many of them were were really on fire at the beginning, like many of us. At the beginning, when we become Christians, we might be on fire for the Lord, <laughs> like New Year's resolutions. We kind of, we just kind of peter out at, at after a few weeks. It's back to the same old, same old. Well, this and this, there were those that were falling away. This is just too tough to. To go on, or or their their faith at times were being 
a um, little bit challenged. So they would. So there were those that were falling back, going back to the old ways, going back to Judaism, going back to um, giving up their, uh, no longer looking forward to the Christ, but going back to how it used to be. Christianity isn't a cakewalk. Um, not for these people anyway. And not for, you know, we, we're used to being Christianity as being nice and comfortable and cozy and, and uh, come as you are. But in other places of the world, becoming a Christian is a death sentence. It, it's a um, death sentence on yourself and on your family and everything else. So um, going back to this, he's warning them not to go back. Um, laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of the faith toward God going back. Going back uh, with verse 2 of instructions about washing and laying on of hands. It's already been taken care of. Uh, and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. All ways of thinking about things. Um, if you are in Christ, old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. It's not for us to go back to the old ways. And um, continue. Any questions up to this point? Comments? Uh, I was going to say, Please. at the point uh, where we're talking about this abridging of, of looking forward and looking back um, with, the, with, the, with the Jew, um, would this be the end of and the beginning of a dispensation? Would this be the end of and... Um, and the only reason I mention it, just okay. to give you a little, is because I, I do you remember Bob Bowender speaking at one of the conferences about the millennium? Oh, yes. Most and he I talked about another dispensation, and there's this crossover. Mm-hmm. And it, this, just you talking about it reminded me of this, this crossover where, where, where Jesus will be ruling. And, and there's generations after that. Right. Generations on and, and a generation that has come into this time as unbelievers I'm reaching on that <laughs> but they come into this era so anyway that's kind of where my, <laughs> what I was thinking about when you were talking about going into a, a new age let, let me ask you let me let me try if, if I understand what you're saying because um, there there is crossing over of generations you know of, of or there and sometimes there are parallels but um, when you go through dispensations and 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 great dispensation is periods of time as God is working out his his uh, his revelation his is revealing things to man like Adam and Eve would be and it's broken down in different ways you know depend on the teachers and the theologians, okay? But basically you have a time period called the Age of Innocence, and that would be Adam and Eve. After Adam and Eve, you might have another dispensation, an age called the um, the, the Age of... Um, Antediluvian. Uh, it could be Antediluvian Age. could be the Age of Negative Volition um, also, but they, they could be named different things. And normally what we see is man starts out on a high note and he 
he filters all. He, he, by the time the end of the dispensation comes in, they're ready to be taken out. Adam and Eve started on a high note. See what I'm saying? They, and with the fall, they ended that age. Then we saw at the end of Genesis chapter 4, men became, began to call on the name of the Lord. Okay, they were up here. Okay, they were looking for the coming of the Redeemer. I believe that they were they were coming to corporate worship. They were excited about the coming of the Redeemer. They got a promise to bring everything back to to the time it was before the fall. Well, um, not to say it wasn't God's timing, but what happened at the end of that age brings us to the flood. Okay, so they start on high note, back to low point. Started back up with uh, with the um, with Noah after the flood, all believers on a high note. Where's that? Where did that end out? Short period of time, about 125 years, ends up with the Tower of Babel, full rebellion. Then you go back on a high note of Abraham, the age of the patriarchs, high note. Where where and then that filters off to slavery in Egypt. So you see these high notes, even with Jesus, it starts off at a high note that all believers, and by the end of that thousand years, it will be a low note. But I don't know what um, how to work in that, because I'm That's still, okay. what, what Bob was talking about on there, generations after generations after generations, um, intriguing, but, I, and I know, I've got just that little bit of, of what he means that the generations going back a thousand generations after that what's going on and stuff so um, I might have to pick his brain a little bit more on that and, and for a little bit more clarity um, but uh, did I answer your question somehow yes. on that? but this is I, I think I, I missed it because the apostolic age was a crossover it was a um, it 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 was a smooth transition, I guess, at best, a, a transition over into the church age. Okay, it just sent a church age now. There was a transition. Church age began with those who believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life, but there was a uh, Old Testament and New Testament. Well, it's also it's also compared to Noah um, when. It, when he he was from the old side, and f- few generations after that, they still had the longevity of life. But I don't know if you could throw that in there. But let me go ahead and move on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, for in the case of those who had once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, uh, these are those that received that Holy Spirit. Um, and remember what that word partakers means: those who um, experienced, experienced the Holy Spirit and have tasted a good work or experienced the good word of God and the powers of the age come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. It's kind of like at first they believed, they believed that Jesus Christ died for for them, they accepted that. Okay, they they believed in the resurrection. He died, and because that was that's our testimony that he died, he was buried, he rose again, 
and ascend it into heaven. Going, going back to Judaism, going back to the old ways, is like going back and putting Jesus on the cross and say, that didn't count. You believed this day, but then you go back and you, um, then you say, no, I believe that, but now I don't believe that. And, um, and it puts him back on the cross. Puts him back on there and going back to a time when they weren't. And they don't lose their salvation. But they don't, but they've lost, they lost their spiritual footing never to regain it back again. Which means they lose, again, they lose all the rewards, the ranks, the privileges. They become disqualified. Like Paul says, I teach earnestly of these things that I myself teaching them, I don't become disqualified. So they become disqualified for the rewards and the, the decorations and the crowns that are available. And never, once they've lost that spiritual footing, they never get it back. Now, where we are today, I think, I think this is specifically for them, but in application for us that we can, after getting our spiritual footing, and this is where we should guard our spiritual life. We recognize that there is rewards and decoration for those who overcome. Um, there, there is, uh, as Scripture says, that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, all the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. And once you've gone so, once you've begin to advance, you're more accountable. You're more accountable when you've taken in the Word of God. Um, and you, you, may, you may be a believer for 5, 10, 15 years, not studying your Bible, not growing in the Lord, but then all of a sudden beginning to but then all of a sudden you get your spiritual footing. You start taking in Bible doctrine. You start rowing in the Lord. And you start you getting your prayer life down. You getting and then um and you're growing in the Lord, you're you're doing all the right things, and then all of a sudden you fall away from that. And, and this is where we got we've we have to guard our spiritual life like Adam was supposed to guard the garden. Adam was to guard the sanctity of the garden. We have to guard the sanctity of our soul. We have to maintain our spiritual priorities because once you once you lay this aside, and as you start regressing, a believer's life is either going forward or it's going backwards. And once you start regressing, and the further you regress, it's harder to get back to where you were. Your 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 heart will be, starts becoming hardened. You know, like clay, when you just leave, let clay just sit there, and what happens to it, Grady, when you just let clay sit there? It dries up. It dries up. And that's like your heart. Our heart needs to be continued, being malleable, being, being, uh, being pressed, and, and, and the Word of God being coming into it. Because once you start neglecting the Word of God, once you start laying aside the prayer, and once you... Your heart becomes darker and it becomes hard. You start, and then you start accepting the garbage out there. And believe me, Satan is standing around. And when I say Satan, that's his minions. 
standing around waiting for that negative time when you're going to when you're going to give it some room and when you go open up your heart to the negative out there and then um, because that's gone and you have to deal with that and so the longer you let your spiritual life lay dormant the harder it is to get back to where you were I don't think any Grady I quite honestly I don't know where you are and I, I'm not insulting you we, we don't talk that much you know on that but when you get your spiritual footing and stuff and I know where y'all are uh, in in a certain sense, but and I know you don't want to lose what you got. And any of us can lose what we've got, Mom. You know, Mom, you know this. We once you let go, and once you once you put aside these spiritual priorities, and that heart becomes hardened, it's hard to come back to where you were, and it may be impossible. So I, I think this is the image that we have here in this verse here. Questions, comments? Okay, moving on. Uh, verse 7. For the ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it, and brings fruit forth veg, vegetation, useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God, our spiritual gifts. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it's worthless and close to being cursed. Close to being cursed. You do not lose your salvation. Yeah, but you st- uh, um, but you, this life becomes a life that's lived in vain. And it ends up being burned. All, um, your, your works are dead works. And at the judgment seat of Christ, your, those works that are dead works will be burned up. Verse 9, but beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation. This is encouragement. Okay, it's not just salvation. It's not just believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Amen, hallelujah, I'm going to heaven. But there is so much attached to your salvation, receiving the righteousness of God, Receiving, becoming the royal family of God, becoming a child of God, becoming a um, the the rewards, the decoration, um, the, receiving the Holy Spirit, um, sharing in the inheritance with the Son, sharing the sonship. I mean, there are um, there are tremendous things that are attached to our salvation, and these are encouragement. These are the better things. For God is not unjust, so as to forget your work and and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered Diakonia and in still ministering to the saints. Our work assignments, listen, our work assignments involve uh, let me just, let me just stop right there. What was the highest priority? What was God's uh, Jesus's mission when He was here on this earth, aside going to the cross and and dying for our sins, which was part of it? The souls of man. He came to save us. And so, what do you think? And when did Jesus's ministry stop? Great question. 
It did. His ministry continues on through us. And if if Jesus' priority was the soul of believers, what's our priority? Ministering to the saints. Encouragement helps. Um, We're not just clothing and feeding people, but we're also presenting the gospel uh, and, and, and discipleship and so who are the saints? The saints. We are saints. Okay, good question. It says his name and having ministered to the saints and in still ministering to the saints. To the saints. The, question, the question is who are the saints? The saints are those. Saints comes from the word hagios. It means those who are set apart. Um, the, you just these said all believers. We are to minister to the saints. We are to be to one another, to to younger believers. There's discipleship. Oh, discipleship. Uh, discipleship would be one of them. Encouragement, the gift of helps. We are encouraging. We are helping all because we are the body of Christ, and we are uh, we're functioning in our ministry in our spiritual gifts. All right, at our. Our top priority is the body of Christ. Our top priority is helping others, um, ministering to others. And it's so important. Another thing that we're going to cover this morning, or either tomorrow or the next day on worship call, is that uh, is we're covering the seven woes. And one of the woes is the fact that, uh, that and that it goes back to Matthew 20, that cursed is anyone that, or cursed that those who lay in stumbling blocks for these young ones. And I don't think that's children per se, but I think that's those in young in faith. So we are ministering. We are all ministers. We all have spiritual gifts to minister to the body. Do you think it's parallel to a child in the faith? But we spoke that it could also, speaking of literal children, just because children mm-hmm. are so impressionable. And, right. Uh, so I, I guess my question was, do you think that could be two separate meanings, which we know Scripture can't have dual? We can't. It can't. Um, I've, I've, I, I have the same mindset. In one aspect, I do believe he's he's talking to little children. You know, let the little children come to me, and he's using them as an object lesson, as as he normally does, and they become a a, a physical manifestation of a spiritual reality. Their physical youth, their physical, the children, and their side, their the the children. Become a and the immature children, the little, little children, become a a physical manifestation of a young believer, a believer who is a child in the faith. John uses and First John talks about little children, um, young men, and fathers, um, pointing out the different levels of spiritual maturity. So. While he's talking, while on one hand he's, he is talking about the children, um, on the other hand, I think he's using that as a spiritual um, lesson um, that we are in danger when we 
put in stumbling blocks to young believers. Okay, so if if we are if we are warned about being stumbling blocks, it reminds us how important it is and how important to God for us to be ministers, diatonia, to other believers. And that could be any age. I mean, a believer is a believer. Yes, any age. Yes, mm-hmm. ma'am. From little to... No, you're, you're a little too adult. Exactly, exactly. Um, spiritual babes in Christ. Yeah. So we, we uh, we're forgiving, we're patient, we're following the the attributes of love. All right. Okay, so let's move on. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence, diligence, so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. Don't give up. I think this was our last lesson. Do not give up. Persevere until the end. You're not on the bus yet. <laughs> and I say that because of Parasol, I remember my drill instructor used to say, you know, as we go through training, we're like a few weeks out before we graduate. And he said, you're not on the bus yet. Means you haven't graduated yet. Don't give up. Don't wear out. Continue to press on. Where you're at right now, don't give ground to the evil one. Continue to press forward to the objective. Okay? Got me, Rob? Grades? You there? All right. So, so that you will not be sluggish or lazy, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Okay, um, and and for you, uh, let me ask you a question. Do you think? Uh, and don't answer this out loud. This is a personal question, Bob, and and all of us, myself, ask ourselves the question: Am I a type of believer that other believers, young believers, would want to imitate? Do, is my spiritual life would would I have a spiritual life that other believers could imitate? Okay, and that, and the answer comes from wh- how serious are you about your spiritual life, uh, your your spiritual priorities? Verse thirteen: For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could not swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. This is God by His holy name, by His own holy name. When He swore, and and then we. Remember, we took this back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 15, with the, with the, uh, remember the sacrifices, where you walk through the sacrifices, and Abraham was asleep. He swore by his own name, because there's no way greater. He put his own integrity online. And um, verse 14, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And who was he saying this to? Abraham. And so having patiently waited, he obtained, and I'm going to get through this pretty quick because we're going to get through the questions. Um, And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. uh, For men swear by by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is the end of every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to his heirs of the promise of the unchangeableness 
of his purpose interposed with an oath. So that the two, so by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, number one, and we have taken refuge, would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope, confident expectation, help us, we have as an anchor of our soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And that's where we'll pick up with chapter 7 coming in um, on the Lord's Day. Okay, getting to our question, not this last Lord's Day, but the one before, one before that. And I don't think you have the right right um, one. I thought we were doing this one. I'm going to try to get to that one, but I don't know if we're going to. Let's see. Here you go. God, I know you worked on that one. Mm-hmm. It's in this one. Do they have that one? They might not have known that either. No, that's, that's not the one, but this was one. But that's what, that's all right. So I have the, I got the questions. So I I I've got the questions. I've, I've got, got I, I I did answer these, but it's upstairs. Yeah, I know you did. I knew you worked hard on it. Okay, first question. First question of the night. Man may swear by many things, but to what does God swear by? In fact, I'll give you that one. His name. His name. Why is that? What? What? Tell me a little bit about his name. What do we mean by God's name? By, by his. Um, his um, one of the attributes is yeah. sovereignty. His um, his um, swear by his um. I see where you're going. Yeah. His character. Yeah. His his attributes. Name. Remember, name can mean three things. If I remember what those three things are, it can be a personal name, which really attached to a personal name, your identity. Okay, when I think of Grady, Reimer, I have, there's certain character traits that I think automatically. Good ones. <laughs> Only think good about you. <laughs> You're my grandson. I think good about you. But there's certain character traits. When I hear the name Grady, you know, I'll, I'll smile. You know, there's, there's good things. Same thing with Mike Bondre. I, there's, there's good things. Of course, you know, others. Um, Becca, you know, these, um, because also it's not only identity, but it, name can also mean, um, reputation. It's your reputation. To have a good name means that you have a good reputation. And number three, it also means authority. God's name means authority. Okay, so, um, God swears by his own name because he puts his own reputation online. Okay, that's where really where you, mostly in John, I believe, where it says, truly, truly, is amen, amen. God is bringing all his reputation to bear. So, number one, man may swear by many things, but to what does God swear by? He swears by his own 
reputation. What did he say? Because he is, I am. He is the I am. Very good. Okay, number two. What stands as the strength of one's faith? What stands as the strength of one's faith? We have how sincere one is about their belief. The maturity of the believer. The object of one's faith. Or the consistency of one's prayer. The object of one's faith. Okay. The object of one's faith. Go ahead and explain me that. Explain me that. Immovable, something immovable, something uh, God is truth. It's it's concrete. It's it's an anchor. Well, Scripture just said that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we may move around by circumstances, and we may fluctuate in our um, character. God is. God is pure. He's rigid. Tell him about the object. Immovable. Mm-hmm. Unchangeable. You, so you're telling me why why you would believe in God and that's the object. Can can you have can you have faith in anything? Well you can. Yeah. You can have faith in, you know, the glass bridge in Gatlinburg that it's gonna hold you. Okay. Until it doesn't. Until it doesn't you won't have faith in it anymore. We had when I was when I was a kid when I was a kid we had um we had uh you know and you don't have this problem down here, Grady, because ponds don't freeze over down here. But up in Maryland the pond would freeze over. And it was always fun to go out and skate on the pond and do all that stuff. Um but when the sun you know, so you could so we believed that the ice would hold us. But if the sun came out, it got to be about 35, 40 degrees. Guess what happened? The ice is melted, but you still have ice there. Now, we still wanted to skate on the ice. We still wanted some because we had so much fun on that pond. But um, no matter how much that we might believe that that ice was going to hold us, if it got so thin, it didn't matter how much we believed. We still going to go break through the ice. You see, it doesn't matter. But um, so this is why the object of the faith. And the more that we know our God, and and some of the attributes that you just brought up, Michael, the more that we know and more that we can stand on. And and with the word of God, listen, some people will ask, people will ask you, you know, how do you know that that's the word of God? Um, And really, uh, how... Okay, anybody, how can you have faith in this book? How and 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 and, and this that is the word of God. How can you have faith in it? My answer is going to have to be part of your question. I mean, it is it is faith. Mm-hmm. You said, how can you have faith? How can you have faith in this book that it is what it says it is? Because you stand on the authority of God, that you, because who your hope lies in. But that's a circular argument because that's what you 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 extrapolated that from this. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Why? I'll give you my. I'll give you my answer. I give you my answer. Fine. That when when it's applied, when I've taken doctrine, when I've taken the word of God and applied it, where circumstances dictate it, it's always come true. It's always um, it's it's been. Let's just say it's been tested. The Lord says, test my word. Test it. You know, so um, when every fork that you come, every challenge that you come, there's a fork that you go to. You can either go to the world circumstances, your world answers, or, you, or scripture answers. And um, I've seen, and also you can see out externally, outside of yourself. How the Word of God has changed other people's lives, and so the answer is that you've tested it, and you show, and it has shown to, it has been proven to you that it is truly what it says it is, the Word of God. And um, when people come to me and they say that you can't trust the Word of God, that it was written by man, blase, blase, and whatever answers, I say, have you ever read it? Always, inevitably, the answer would be no. Have you? So you haven't studied it. You haven't. You haven't read it. You haven't studied it. Therefore, you haven't tested. Therefore, you don't know where it is. Isn't it more that he puts us to the test to prove that it is truth? What test? Isn't it that he puts us to the test to what? prove that it is truth? Because do we not test? You know, really, he doesn't. Him. Put, really, he really he doesn't put. Really, and, and I'm being somatic on this. Really, we're not put to the test. It's the Word of God within us that's put to the test. That the testing of our faith, which comes from the Word of God, and when we apply it, this is First Peter, I believe it's First Peter, first chapter, mm-hmm. that our testing of our faith mm-hmm. is more precious. So, if you have no doctrine in your heart, you don't have no faith, and you have nothing to test. Mm-hmm. Okay, an ignorant, uh, ignorant believer who have no doctrine, so there's you, nothing to test. If you said you fail the test, then what are you saying? Uh, it, and when you fail the test, the thing is that you fail to apply the Word of God, uh, because every time that you apply the Word of God, you have just validated. The word of God to be what it is, victorious and giving glory to God. Answer your question. Mm-hmm. I'm playing devil advocate because. Go ahead. Well, it depends on your audience. For somebody, if someone were to ask, how can you know that that's the word of God? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's you're not going to say anything. That's going to answer their question. Depending. Depending on your audience. Depending on your audience. Yeah, it depends on who's asking. And I would almost say it's a, it's a, it's a trap, or it's. Well, but if somebody were to say, just like you said, you can't believe the Bible, if they came out and directly said that, who are you to tell me what I can believe in? The argument to how can you have faith in this, and you say. You know, I've tested it. It's no different than a Muslim or a Buddhist or anybody reading their doctrine mm-hmm. that they believe. Um, 
in their mind, in their mind's eye, they're following truth as well. And then I'd go on. It could be a various number of options you can go out and the, going back to the audience. And yes, it, you can. Then you bring that in, and you can bring in the Bible, the validity. Once again, you got to know the Bible yourself before you can answer the question. You could talk about the miraculous things about the Bible. You talk about the prophecies. You could talk about. Um, it was written over a thousand years, over 40 different authors. It has complete continuity. Uh, you can go through that direction. The more you know, and whatever tools, left and right, you can go through. See what I can see right now. I can't, I, and I won't have a class to say, okay, this is how you answer this. This is how you answer that. This is how you answer that. But I will answer. Well, I'll go with this on this. You've got an, your audience. Yes, sometimes you will have a hostile audience that, that they're just ready to pick a fight. And I enjoy that. I do. I'm, I'm, uh, what, and, and you will too. And, you know, as you learn and you say, I'm ready for this. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for bringing that. Over. And, um, but there's other times um, somebody's just repeating what they've always heard. And no one's been able to give, tell them anything different. So, you know, you have some people, they may be a little, they may seem a little antagonistic. Well, what about this and what about that? Answer the question. Because they may not be so antagonistic. They may just be really genuinely looking for answers. And they want to believe, but they don't have reasons to believe yet. There you go. Um, I've actually had people thank me to clear some things up for them when they came antagonistic and after it. Um, you know, that, and um, if you let Tim tell you a story about him and um, his Navy corpsman, our Navy corpsman buddy, you know, because he started out very antagonistic and to this day he's a very strong believer. So you just get taking blocks away from your unbelief. That's what you're doing. You know, it's part of the apologetics. Okay, let's move on to the next question. Um, and very good on that. Uh, I think that was a good question. Uh, uh, let me repeat it. What stands as the strength of one's faith? It is the object of our faith. Not how strong we can believe, but on who we believe. Number three. What did Abram do in order to be accredited with righteousness? Brady, I hadn't heard from you yet, bud. Um, what did Abraham do to be accredited with righteousness? No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, anybody else? Service says. Well, I was looking for the promises of God, so I would go with, it's going to be A or C. I'm going to give you A. Believe God. Very important. Very, very important scripture there is Genesis 15 verse 6. Genesis 15 verse 6. Abraham believed. Then Abraham believed and it was credit to him for righteousness. And um, and it's interesting because um, if you say that the Bible only has, can only be used in one meaning, this is interesting because um, at this point 
in Abraham's life, he was already positionally right with God. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He, he was so all, D D. He was sacrificed his son on the altar because he believed God. So. Yeah, because he believed, uh, because he believed God. But um, so you have two two types of righteousness. You have positional righteousness, and you have a um, experiential righteousness, uh, righteousness as time, you know, and stuff. So Abraham was already righteous before God. Okay, he was already a man of God when it says in Genesis 15:6 he believed. So this was experiential righteousness. This was this was that he um, he demonstrated a faith, mm-hmm. uh, which that is believing. He demonstrated faith that was to God a a uh, pleasing to God. Okay, um, so uh, and it's funny when you go to Romans. When Paul talks about, um, you know, he talks about faith, and in James it talks about faith. James talks about experiential faith. Paul talks about positional faith. And they both point back to Abraham on both things. So I think that's kind of interesting. So, I, um, in Hebrews, Pistis, um, in Hebrews chapter 6, or in J- Hebrews 11, uh, that without faith, it is impossible to please God. All right, Enoch walked with God. That's what I was getting confused with. Enoch walked with God. Um, number four. What are two types of righteousness discussed in this lesson? Two types of righteousness discussed in this lesson. Whatever they did. <laughs> so your thunder. Uh, I stole my own thunder. Yeah, that would be A. Well, babe, I was just seeing if you listen. A. Experiential and positional. What's the difference? Um, experiential and positional. What? The, well, the believe God, Abraham believe God would be uh Oh, I didn't forgot. Experiential, uh, no, professional, professional, and then experiential would be like he had he presented his belief by by knowing that he could sacrifice his son, knowing that you know he okay. had the faith to be able to sacrifice his son. Let me bring it down to simple terms. Positional. For us together, uh, when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the moment that we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are entered into, at that moment, we are entered into the family of God. We're positioned. We are family of God. We may be bad. We may be good. Whatever we are, we're positionally in line with God. That's positional um, sanctification. That's positional righteousness. We have been accredited. That's accredited. Yes. God's righteousness? That's a, yes. Righteousness. We've been imputed with, with the righteousness of God. Experiential is in time righteousness. This is the walking. This is conducting ourselves in, um, in a way that is worthy of one who is positionally right with God. We, we, not, only, uh, we not only have the title 
but we live up to the title. Can we say that? Mm -hmm. Having the title is positional mm -hmm. righteousness. Living up to the title is experiential righteousness. Mm -hmm. uh, which one can you lose? Which one can you, um, which one can you lose? Experiential. Experiential. Yes. Does that mean that you're no longer a believer? No. No. You don't lose your position. Okay. Um, Genesis 15, 6. Which righteousness, okay, once again, we already talked about it. Which, which righteousness is in view in Genesis 15, 6? Uh, Positional. Mm -hmm. Oh, is that not the verse? I thought and he was that 15.6, he's already a believer. Okay, well, maybe oh, that's okay. 15.6. Yeah, maybe I thought that. Let's go to Genesis 15.6. I was expecting We're that over to be here. that. Yeah, yeah, just thinking it was that verse. And he believed to the Lord, well, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Okay, now that's, um, and, that, and this is, um, this is after he comes back from the, I mean, all these things have already, he's come back, he's already um, given his tribute to Melchizedek, he's fought Catalomer, uh, he's, um, he left, going, back, going backwards, he left the Ur of Chaldees, um, and Hebrews says, by faith he left the Ur, the Ur of Chaldees to go to a land which he did not know, okay? So, all, so then we come all the way up in the timeline and it says, then he believed in the promise of God and his credit to him for righteousness. Wasn't he a believer before? So you're saying he was positionally righteous. He was already from, positionally from righteousness. Earth. Yes. He believed then. He believed God. Yeah. He believed God then. So he was already a believer. That? He was positionally right. Where, where is that verse at that he believed? Hey, Abraham. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, leaving the... Uh, go back to hold your place there. Go to Hebrews 11. Um, going back down. Um, go so back it's not in Genesis? No, it's not. It's in Hebrews. That's interesting. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Okay. 11, 8. And where was he? Where was he when he believed that? Ur. Ur of Chaldees. So was he a believer when he left the Ur of Chaldees? All of these are evidences of faith. All of these are evidences of faith. All of these were believers. And it lays down the proof that these were believers. So at, when he left Ur of Chaldees, he was positionally right with God. And so when he, when he in Genesis chapter 15 verse 6, when he hears God's promises of the Son, starting with 15, verse, verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am your shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, Oh, Lord God. Okay, listen. He's already, his title, his title right then, he's, he's saying, Lord God. He's, 
He already knows who he's talking to and addressing. What will you give me since I, I am a child? I am childless, and my heir of my house is Elias in Damascus. And Abram said, since, since you have given me no offspring to me, one born in my house and my heir, then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this man shall not um, be your heir, but the one who will come forth from your body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Look at the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and it was reckoned it to him as righteousness. Well, it does he, took, he took that righteousness, he took that faith, that, that he heard the revelation of God. He believed it within his heart. It was credited as righteousness. He was already positionally, this was experiential. And it did say in, in 12.8 that he built an altar to the Lord and called upon his name. Mm-hmm. But all these things after leaving Ur, he was a believer. He was positionally right. Um, and here, and every time that we, every time that we execute faith, it's to the pleasure of God. That was number five. I only got about two minutes left. Shall we go on? It's the speed round. The speed, yeah, these are the speed round. I got ten. Uh, uh, I, these are these are good questions. So I don't want. So don't speed. You know, don't speed. Uh, can I have a, Can I have, have an extra five minutes on the clock? Mm-hmm. Y'all all right? You you all right? All right. Number six. What are what makes the two words "I will" so powerful when spoken by God? Brady, he don't lie. He doesn't lie. Very good. He doesn't lie. Is and that's number one. Is there if God wills to do something, is there anything that can stop him? No. Very good. Um, so, yeah. Um, and when when the Lord says "I will," we're talking about all His integrity by His name. If if he fails, then um, Satan can say, "Look, he's failed." That's why, Brady. That's why um, there's so much effort of Satan to try to destroy the Jews, because he can destroy it and wipe out the Jews. Then God, all the promises that God had made to Abraham can no longer be, and therefore God would be a liar. So that's that's why I attacked that. So very good. All right, number seven. Anybody else have anything on that one? I was going to say he immutable, which he said he can't lie. So, I mean, God's not going to come back and say, never mind. <laughs> I will, and then. Yeah, that's right. Mind. He's not going. Uh, yeah, his I wills are powerful. Um, what's the object of your faith? God. And when God says, I will, then nothing's going to stop him. Um, you can also throw in omnipotence. There's nothing more powerful than God. All right. And going back to Genesis 15, when God walked between the sacrifices, Grady, what was Abraham doing when God, when the oven and the um, torch was going through the uh, sacrifices? Sleeping. Sleeping, exactly. Number eight. 
I'll, I'll leave it also, Grady. What does Abraham's actions tell us about God's promises? With Abraham sleeping, what does that tell us about God's promises? To both Israel and to the church age believer. Mike? He, he's bound by his word. He, I was just explaining to them yesterday we were talking about, what was that Sunday? We were talking about the ram in the thicket. He was bound by his horns. He was bound by his power. And the Lord is bound by his word. His, I mean, his his name, his reputation is all on the line. Uh, that's not what you're asking. Yep. Yeah. Um, the What does Abraham's actions tell us about God? Him, him sleeping. What does it tell us about Israel and the church age believer? Oh, Abraham's actions uh, are meaningless. God's promise. Thank you. Exactly. Because he wasn't part of the conference. He wasn't part of the, the deal. This is an unconditional covenant. It's not based on what it's Abraham does or his failure or Israel's failure. What God is going to do, he's going to do. Um, we have um, really, if you go back to Genesis, we can get time. If you go back and read Genesis chapter 12, if you notice that, he says, Abraham, um, it's two pages. Um, he goes, now the Lord, Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to a land which I will show you. And I will, and then here comes the I wills of God. This is what you do, and this is what I'm going to do. Um, Israel will fail over and over and over and over again, but they don't, they do not negate uh, God's promises to Israel. Don't let nobody ever tell you that God has forgotten his people Israel. No, it's not based on their actions. It's based on his integrity. It's based on his I will, his covenant. Um, so that's to the Israel. Because if, if God can go back on his word to Israel because of their failure, can he also go back on his promise to us for salvation that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Can God go back, if he goes back on the promise to Israel, can he go back on his promise for our salvation? Yes, he can. So he's going to be faithful to Israel. When you say Israel, is that the... The Jews. Israel, the nation Israel. Abraham's people. Um... But our, 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 we have eternal security. We cannot lose our salvation. It's not based on our behavior. It's based on the faithfulness of God. All right. Um, so you're kind of segue into the question nine. Question nine. Is it important for the church-age believer to understand God's faithfulness to Israel? And why? I think we already answered. I answered that. So, mm-hmm. Make sense, Beck? Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so I won't even ask that. <laughs> Ten. Uh, what are the two things mentioned in Hebrews that God uses to strengthen our faith in the promises of God? God's integrity and God's word. God's word and his son. God's word and God's oath. 
God's oath and God's faithfulness. God's oath and his uh, faithfulness, I think. That God's oath. Word. Word, word or oath, oath is either. God's word, word and God's oath. Yeah. That's what I was trying to figure out. Verse 17. Going back. Yeah. His way desires more than show his desires or promises of unchangeable unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath so that by two unchangeable things maybe it should be for his purpose his purpose and I would hang on there his purpose and his oath um, and that is for men swear by um, one greater than themselves and um, with them an oath given as confirmation is the end of every dispute. In the same way, God's desiring even more to show to the heirs of promise the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with... Well, that's why I was oath. thinking faithfulness, because I, it's unchangeable. Yeah, uh, okay, I would uh, Okay, I would probably go um, with, yes, his faithfulness, you're right. His faithfulness, I think that's what I was saying before. Because that's what is his unchangeableness. He doesn't he doesn't change his mind. He's faithful. God is faithful, plus his oath. Okay, so that's the two. Yeah, yeah, number four. Well, what does your say? Well, so 17, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So by the two his, fa- his faithfulness to his purpose. So that by two intangible things in which it is impossible for God to lie, yeah, so we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hopes of And I did lie, and I am unfaithful because rather than taking five minutes, I took <laughs> eight minutes. Well, I figured the five was just to get through question six. <laughs> I figured I figure if you give me five minutes, you'd give me ten. You'd give me ten. Man, I love you all. Uh, give them an inch. It takes a moment. Who? <laughs> uh, Michael, would you close this out in prayer? Gracious and sovereign Father, we do thank you again for this evening. Father, we thank you again and again for your word. Thank you for this time in your word. I pray that we uh, can take these things that we've discussed tonight and if we take them with us, meditate on them. Lord, continue to give us understanding and help us move forward with wisdom and help us move forward in a way that's pleasing to you, Lord. And all these things we do pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. 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 All right. And you are dismissed.